Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. I want to welcome you this morning here at East LJ. We are captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God and the grace of God given through the life, the death, and the resurrection and the ongoing reign of Jesus our Lord. And he has captivated us. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ in the world. And it is our prayer that you will see and embrace the beauty of Christ that we enjoy and find yourself captivated by him as well. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. It's good to have uh, the Gilmer Lady Bobcat coach here with us this morning and, and her family. I uh, want to give you a quick update on our youth. Yeah, give her, give her a round of applause. Working with our young people in this community. So glad to have them visiting today. want to put some things on the screen this morning. Got a few pictures for you. Um, my wife and I, we've been here about two months now. Maybe, is it more than that? Feels, it, it's good. I want to let you know, felt like I needed to give you an update on how the youth was going. It's going really well. On an average, we have about 60 teenagers on a Wednesday night, and uh, we're, we're getting involved in the school system, we're getting involved in sports, we're getting involved in social media. Our, our goal, number one, is to see lost teenagers come to know Christ. And our, our goal through this summer is to keep the excitement high going through the summer so that when the fall comes, we're, we're already there, we're ready to explode and grow. Amen? We're excited about that. We do want to let you know our name is now Cedar Students. We did a study on cedar trees and how they grow down and get anchored to underground rocks. That teaches us to get rooted to the right thing. They grow to extreme heights, and God's calling us to grow up, and, and that's our goal in youth is to see kids, middle school and high school, growing in their faith, reaching heights they've never reached before for the Lord. Cedar trees also grow out and reach great wide expanses and that teaches us to reach out to others with the gospel and number four they grow onwards they're they're lasting and so we want to we want to instill a program here at the church that not only encourages and inspires young people uh, but also it goes with them after they leave here and go to college that's important and so uh, we're growing down up out and on in all four directions and uh, so we love the kids and we have a passion for them and want you to know we're working real hard with the Lord's help and we need your support and so uh, amen amen did y'all enjoy those pictures is that the first one have we shown them? there we go I can't see because of the glare wonderful the presence of God is just in here well we have a scripture reading this morning Luke 21 starting in verse 8 and the Bible says and he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts become weighed down with dissipation 
and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. And welcome Pastor Chad Kelly. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Trey. And aren't you glad that we know the... The, the truth of Scripture, that Jesus, we have his, his warnings, his, uh, his teaching to us. Uh, so glad that our redemption, when we see these things, we're going to be talking about that today, that our redemption is drawing near. If you're redeemed in the house today by the Lord Jesus, say so. Amen? Amen. And if you're redeemed, you, you say, well, what does that mean? My, re my redemption's drawing near. Well, the fullness of it's coming when we see Jesus face to face, and one day we will. And praise God, we have that hope. Amen? Now, that was pathetic. You have the hope of seeing Jesus face to face. Amen? Amen. 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 And so, when you see these things, uh, know that your redemption is drawing near. I hope that scripture reading put a, uh, already put a different spin on the way you see the end times. Here's the deal. We should be looking forward to the end because we will see him on that day and yet so many that you know uh, so many that I know family members friends co-workers neighbors don't have that hope it can't be said in their lives that their redemption's drawing near because they've not met Jesus the Redeemer at all and so we want to pray for our own witness with our neighbors amen don't you want to be a better witness in the world that you live in and, and to the people that God's entrusted to you amen we also want to pray for the unreached nations of the world the Babra people this morning is our unreached people group of the day. Uh, some of these names, they're, they're, they're trying, but Babra is the right pronunciation of that. There's only 37,000 of these, of these uh, folks in India. There are no known believers among them. And so we want to pray for the gospel to penetrate uh, this people group there in India. Join me as we pray for both our neighbors and the nations and, and also a host of folks dealing with illness and, and grief this morning. Father, we praise you that Jesus is our Redeemer, that we are today redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But Lord, thank you that one day our redemption will be made complete as we come into the presence once and for all, never to leave again, the Lord Jesus and see him face to face. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're coming. What a hope we have. There's a bunch of stuff between here and there. But the certainty, that which we must not take our eyes off of, is this blessed hope that Jesus is coming back for us. Father, thank you that we have that hope. We pray for our neighbors, our coworkers, family members, and friends who do not have that hope. God, may we get serious about that. May we confess and repent of our guilty silence having the hope they need and just simply keeping our mouths closed. Lord, make us bold and full of compassion with the gospel. And Lord, we pray for the nations this morning, in particular the Babra people of India. Lord, perhaps some of these, most of these, if not all of these, never having heard the name of Jesus or 
at least a clear explanation of what he's done for us. By your power and through your church, get the gospel to them. And Lord, this morning we want to continue to pray for a host of folks. We pray for uh, Andrea Dale. Uh, Lord, we lift up Mary Beth Priest today. Thank you that she's home doing much better and being effectively treated. How we thank you for your grace and your mercy there. We continue to pray for Ray Thompson, even as he goes for an update this uh, checkup this week. We pray for Connie Lane. Pray for Chris Jones and Roger Kincaid and up some upcoming tests. We lift up the family of Kay Corn and Father. We pray for Lee Kramer. Uh, we continue to pray for the Hensley family, the Malinster family, uh, the Davenport family, the Honeycutt family. The family of Beth Bice. Lord, we thank you for a, a report of improvement uh, for Barbara Schultz, who's Carolyn Thompson's sister with her heart issues. Uh, Father, we lift up Kathleen Wright and her family in the passing of her mom. And we pray this morning for Keith Mathis's mother, Tina Martin, and ask that you just continue to bring strength and healing there uh, in her life. Father, thank you that we can freely come into your presence. Thank you that we have the freedom in this country to come, but Lord, thank you that we can come boldly into the very holy of holies, the very presence of our Father because of Jesus, because of his broken body and shed blood. And Lord, we praise you for your once-for-all sacrifice. May we worship you today in spirit and truth. May we worship you with our lives, even as we sing and pray and hear your word, may we present ourselves in the doing of all of this this morning as living sacrifices. Lord, because you are worthy, not just of a, some songs, a few minutes at church, but you're worthy of our lives, you who laid down your life to save us forever. We praise you and we exalt you now. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and greet those nearby you there. If you see somebody you don't know, introduce yourself. And in just a few moments, our worship team will bring us back together. I'll just lay it. I'll just lay it over here. How are y'all? 
good to see you. Good to have y'all with us. Yeah. All right. Good. Always good to have you. Those are two places that a lot of people come, right? Guarantee you. Searching for 
Father, how we praise you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy that pursues us. Lord, you, you came running after us when we were running in the other direction, in sin and loving it, hating you and all that you stood for, and yet in mercy and grace, you chased us down and overcame us thank you Father thank you that all of our sins were nailed to that cross and we bear them no more thank you thank you that we can call you Father and know that we are loved by you and that all of this is because of your heart of mercy and grace and love that you would send your own son to become one of us in order that he might be a true and perfect savior who lived, died and rose again as our substitute in our place living righteously for us when we could never do that going to the cross and bearing in his own body on that tree our sins and your wrath that our sins deserved as our perfect once and for all atoning sacrifice and then on the third day Lord Jesus you rose again for us that we might have power over not only sins penalty but power over sin practically in our lives as well as the hope of eternity and everlasting the everlasting presence of God in heaven face to face with Jesus we pray Lord that now you would come and be our teacher we praise you for the Bible we thank you for God's Word what a gift today by your spirit teach us change us and may the result of our time in this portion of God's word today be a greater hope that moves us to holier living where we show the world hope and peace that are unknowable in this life apart from Jesus it's in your name that we ask it and for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. All right. We will be dismissed, I think, to Children's Church. Thank you to all those who serve our
families by serving our children there in Children's Church. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles as they're making their way out to two chapters this morning. <coughs> Let me go ahead and uh, calm your nerves and other things, um, anxieties and everything. We are going to be three weeks in uh, our text for today. So we're going to break this down into three weeks so you can breathe. We are not going to try to deal with the second coming of Christ all in one sitting. We're going to take three weeks to do that. So turn your Bibles to Luke 21, which is where we have been. As if you're visiting with us for the first time today, we are working our way, have been for a couple years now, through the Gospel of Luke, and we are in Luke 21. Also, find Matthew 24. There is a third account that we won't look at, but Mark 13 is also a parallel passage. Uh, three of the four Gospels include this, this section. And, and give us this, uh, what's known as the Olivet Discourse, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, um, talking about um, the times yet to come. And so uh, both from, from his vantage point in that day, 2,000 years ago, and also from ours today. Luke 21 and Matthew 24. You will have all this scripture on the screen, but I do encourage you, if you have a Bible, to take it out and, and follow along. Charles Spurgeon said this of Jesus' second coming. The hour of his appearing is not revealed in order that we may always stand on tiptoe, expecting it to be today. I kind of like that. I'll tell you the title of the sermon in a minute, but I started to title it Living on Tiptoe. And that'd be a good title. That's a good way to live. If that helps you remember it, just write that one down. The hour of Jesus appearing is not revealed in order that we may always stand on tiptoe expecting it to be today. I want to read through um, sort of a, um, if you will, a, a synopsis or bringing together of these two chapters. Uh, and so I'm going to read a little while. Y'all ready? Matthew 24, beginning in verse 3. And as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now remember, they had just left Jerusalem. And as they were leaving Jerusalem and walking out of the temple courts, the disciples had said, What a beautiful building. And Jesus had just made this statement as they were walking across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. He said, Not one stone will be left upon another. Tell us then when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. He goes on to warn them of those that would come and say that the end was coming, that, 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 that they were the, the Christ. And, and all these things that we saw last week happened before the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Skipping down to verse 21. For then, so now we're talking about a time in, 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 the, in the future even yet. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. 
For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Flip over to Luke 21. Luke 21, and we'll pick it up in verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf... You see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Back to Matthew 24, verse 36. This section is not included in Luke's account, but only in Mark and Matthew's accounts. Matthew says, in, or Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day... And hour. That is the day that all this is going to happen. The hour all this is going to happen. Jesus said, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. No one knows. But the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be this, the coming of the Son of Man. <coughs> then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, 
there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now you know why we're going to take three weeks to go through this part of God's Word. In 1993, how many people were alive and can remember 1993? In 1993, a popular Christian uh, band called New Song. Anybody remember New Song? Oh yeah, all right. Big fan at that time. Uh, they, wrote a, they wrote a song uh, based on a true story about a special needs school teacher who taught her class of special needs children about the return of Jesus. Let me just read you the lyrics from that song. The song was entitled, Fingertips and Noses. Up in the hills somewhere in Kentucky is a little old school way back in the nothing where special kids born with special needs are sent to learn life's ABCs. Their teacher, Mrs. Jones, tells them all about Jesus, how in the twinkling of an eye he's coming back to get us, about streets of gold and pearly gates, how they want to go, they just can't wait. And she can't keep them in their seats. They're all at the windows straining to see. And it's fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes. Longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All they know is that they love him so. And if he said he'd come, he's coming. And they can't keep their windows clean for fingertips and noses. You like this song yet? Have you ever heard it? Anybody? You remember that song? Anybody remember it? Check it out later. Well, she tried to explain to the kids about his coming. Oh, she tried to calm them down. But they just wouldn't listen. They just giggled and they clapped their hands. They're so excited that he's coming for them. And the first thing you know, they're out of their seats, back at the windows, straining to see. And it's fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes, longing eyes, expecting hearts for him to come again. All they know is that they love him. And if he said he's coming, he's coming. And they can't keep their windows clean for fingertips and noses. The last verse of the song is for you, it's for me. Where will Jesus find us when he comes again? Will we be like children waiting just for him? With our fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes, long and eyes expect hearts for him to come again. You see, all we know is that we love him. And if he said he'd come, he's coming. And we can't keep our windows clean for our fingertips and noses. And so here's the question, the title of the sermon. Why are our windows so clean? Hmm? Can I just tell you, that's the point of Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13. And if you don't get that, no matter how deep into pre-trib, post-trib, Blah, 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 that you go, you've missed Jesus' point. I'm not saying any of that's unimportant, not saying we don't need to study those things. 
But what I'm telling you is Jesus' point is to make us ready and waiting and looking and longing for his coming. Why are our windows so clean? This is part one in a three-part little mini-series on this. Here's the take-home truth. Jesus' followers can be, can be expectantly prepared, assuredly confident, and perseveringly faithful to our Lord in these last days until he comes. We can be. We can be expectantly prepared, assuredly confident, and perseveringly faithful to our Lord in these last days until he comes. And hear me, that is the point that Jesus is trying to make. Number one, what Jesus' discourse is not about. What Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13 are not about. This passage is not about a timeline of end times events. You say, Chad, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. That's why I'm, that's why I'm hammering this point at the very beginning. This is what this text is not about. It's not Jesus point. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, Jesus said it. We read it earlier, Matthew 24, 36 to 44, once again. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This passage is not a discourse about an end times timeline. You remember the story of Noah, as Jesus refers to it here. God told Noah to build a big boat, like bigger than they'd ever needed in the world. Uh, we call it the ark. And it took years to build that boat. Decades, probably. We don't really know exactly how long it took. We don't exactly know how long it was from the time God says, start the boat, and the time the rain started. Some speculate as much as 120 years. Some speculate 100 or a little bit less based on ages of Noah given at the beginning of end of, chapter, of Genesis chapter 5 and the beginning of Genesis, I believe it's chapter 7. We don't know, but it took a while. Now, Moses starts building this boat. Just imagine it. Hey, hey, Moses, or Noah. Noah, not Moses. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Uh, for, for what? We live in the desert. Well, there's going to be a worldwide flood. The whole world's going to be covered with water. If you're not on the boat, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, right, Moses. Okay. See you, buddy. Hey, y'all, something's wrong with... No, I said it again, Moses. Noah. 
the Sunday school children who have left could have been here, and if they were in here, they would have been correcting me. So it's Noah. But just imagine, a week later, a month later, six months later, all those folks that thought he was crazy, they, I mean, they didn't even care anymore. They'd long forgotten about what Noah was up to. They'd long forgotten about this crazy guy over there. They just wrote him off. All his warnings of this judgment on the whole world and the worldwide flood, I mean, right. A year later, he's still at it. Jesus said, I don't know when it's going to be, and that's not the main point. The point is that I'm telling you that I'm coming back. So believe me, and don't be like the folks in Noah's day. Be ready. Because just as certainly as the rain fell in Noah's day and the world flooded, so certain is my coming. Now you may say, well, you say this is not about timelines, but Jesus tells us a lot of things that will happen before he comes. So of course he's giving us a timeline. Well, it is true that he tells us many things that will happen before his return, but his purpose in talking about these things as Pastor Trey read some selected verses at the beginning of the service, is to lovingly prepare his people so that they're not led astray or freaked out or fearful, but rather prepared, confident, and faithful through it all. In fact, there is some overlap as we read through these various accounts, it seems to me, in his descriptions, Jesus' descriptions of the destruction of the temple and his return in power and glory. At some points... It's hard to tell whether he's talking about the temple or his return or both. And I think that's intentional. Because again, Jesus' focus is on preparing his disciples and all of us as his people to be ready, confident, and faithful for all that time right up to his return and all that it will include. Also remember when this Olivet Discourse is being given. Remember, we're in the week of his passion. We're in the week of his sufferings. This is probably still on Wednesday before he dies on Friday. Jesus is less than 48 hours from hanging on the cross, and he's focused on preparing his disciples for all that's about to happen after he's dead, raised, and, and ascended and, and, and exalted to back to heaven. The disciples want to know a timeline. Jesus said, I don't know the exact timing, but I'm giving you in advance what you need, and, tell, and I'm telling you what you need to know so that you and all believers in the future can be prepared, confident, and faithful until I return. And what I'm giving you will be applicable from this moment through the history of the future church until I come on the day that only the Father knows but has certainly appointed to come to pass. Do we really think that two days before he goes to the cross, Jesus is giving something that requires many different colored markers and pens to, to lay out on an apocalyptic timeline. Are y'all with me? Y'all tracking? When you study the end times, I mean, it gets, it gets super complicated, super long. 
I mean, do you really think that two days before Jesus is going into something that would be so difficult and complicated to understand? No, that's not his point. His point is be ready. Be faithful for my coming. So let's break down what Jesus does tell us. It's not a timeline. Number two, and this is the only point, it's going to have four subpoints, but it's the only other point for this morning. Jesus, remember what I said at the beginning, the, the take-home truth is this, Jesus' followers can be expectantly prepared. That's where we're stopping this morning, okay? We're going to talk about being expectantly prepared. We can be assuredly confident and perseveringly faithful, that's next week and the next week, to our Lord in these last days until he comes. Jesus wants his followers to be expectantly prepared. In this, these texts, Jesus tells his followers to be prepared for four realities of the last days, which have been, uh, which, which we've been in the last days, since Jesus' first coming, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, but also... He's speaking of the last of the last days. That will happen just before he comes. So pretty much everything he has to say here has to do with the time from his ascension all the way through his actual return. Jesus wants his followers to be expectantly prepared for four realities. Number one, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. See last week's sermon. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that. I'm going to say a little bit more but. Seriously, go back and listen to last week's message, and that's what we talked about. The summary of that message is this. The old covenant was being, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, re replaced by the new covenant. It was being written, in just a couple of days, would be written in Jesus' blood, and it would be sealed in his resurrection and reign as, as Lord of all. Remember how we looked at some passages in Hebrews last week? And what the book of Hebrews teaches us is this. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. The new covenant in Jesus and His grace, given to us through His life, death, and resurrection, is better than the old covenant of the temple, the Levitical priesthood, all of the animal sacrifices. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the last priest. He's the great high priest. He'll never be replaced like those Old Testament priests were. He, he never dies. And so he forever lives to make intercession for us. And he doesn't need to offer, make, make an offering for his sin and then for the sins of the people. Oh no, he's the sinless high priest. Moreover, he doesn't deal in an earthly temple. He made his sacrifice in the heavenly holy of holies. He didn't just do a sacrifice in the copy. He went to the real thing in the very presence of the, of the Father and made his sacrifice there. And his sacrifice was better than all the millions of gallons of animal blood that had been poured out in the years leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. His sacrifice was once and for all. In fact, every other sacrifice only pointed to that one. 
And the only reason those sacrifices could have any efficacy, any, any, any uh, power at all, is because they, they pointed to the one sacrifice for sins that actually paid the price. Jesus' death on the cross. The destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Jesus wanted his followers to be prepared, expectantly prepared for that. We talked about it last week. It would have rocked their world. And yet Jesus graciously tells them in just a few years, 35 years or so, 35 to 40 years, A.D. 70, it happened just like he said. And if you remember what I told you, historians tell us, we don't know of any, if it, it, it may be just a very few, but we, most Christians in Jerusalem got out. Why? Because Jesus said, get out. It's an amazing thing. Beautiful how Jesus protected his people. Jesus wanted his follow, wants his followers to be expectantly prepared. But, but the second thing he wants us to be prepared for, the second reality to be prepared for, is false messiahs and teachers. Again, see last week's message. Jesus essentially says, if folks start telling you that Jesus is coming back, like he's coming tomorrow, if, when people start putting dates on it or saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, here I am, Jesus said, just ignore him. It, it, it ain't him. So everybody got that? It's a real simple lesson. If someone says they know when Jesus is coming back, guess what? They're disqualified for your hearing anymore. They're a false teacher. They're a false messiah. They're, they're, they're giving you a... It's, it's lies. Jesus said, that's not me. That's not from God. Remember, Jesus said, only, only, only the Father knows. I don't even know when the day is. Now, I don't mess with you. We can talk about that for a long time. How is it the Father knows, Son doesn't know? I don't know. All I know is God, He was the perfect God-man. He was God incarnate. He was human. And his humanity doesn't undo his divinity, but I don't know how all that works. What did he lay down when he became a man? What did he, did he set aside for, 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 for becoming the perfect um, God-man and perfect sacrifice for us? I don't understand it all, but, but I just believe Jesus. And he said, I don't know. And also in, that same, in this same passage where we read earlier, here's the thing you can know. When Jesus is about to show up, there'll be no question. When he splits the eastern sky and comes back, everyone will know. That's what Matthew 24, verse 27 is about. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I mean, if you're looking at the sky, if your eyes are open, and it lightnings. You know it lightnings, right? The whole sky lights up. The picture is, hey, when Jesus comes back, you'll know he's back. You won't have to wonder if it's him. You won't need anybody to say, hey, oh, by the way, yep, that's him. Verified. No. The whole world will know. Of course, in our day, there are other kinds of false teachers that we probably need to be more aware of today. I mean, most of us would blow off someone saying Jesus is about to return, right? Everybody pretty much got that, right? You already knew that before I started talking today. That if somebody says Jesus is coming back tomorrow, he ain't. 
So there's other false teachers that we should probably be aware of today, though that one, in fact, is the one Jesus warns us of here. But in our day, let me just throw this out there while we're on the subject. The preachers of the prosperity gospel, they're getting more and more subtle. It's not just the TV preachers now with all the crazy money stuff going on that's so obvious and names like Creflo Dollar, really. And talk about how you need to fund their private jets and all this in this kind of thing. No, they're getting much more subtle and believers all across the church in America are swallowing their lies hook, line, and sinker. Believing that we can both be faithful to Jesus and partake in our piece of the pie of the American dream without any conflict. Based on what we've seen from the mouth of Jesus, heard from Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Luke, hear me, it just ain't. So, he owns all that you are, and you are his steward. And this life's not about the American dream if you're a Jesus follower. It's about something way different, and your life ought to look way different. Plain and simple. Jesus says, be expectantly prepared for false messiahs and false teachers. Be ready. Disciples of his day for the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Be ready, disciples, in that day and in this, for false messiahs and false teachers. Be expectantly prepared for this. But thirdly, be expectantly prepared for persecution. For persecution. Jesus did not want us to be surprised by persecution. And yet as Americans especially, Western Christians, we think somehow we should be able to avoid suffering. Can I just say this as plain as I know how to say it and as lovingly as I know how to say it, it's for my good and yours There is nothing in the Word of God that ever indicates that the Christian life will be free of suffering. In fact, the entirety of the New Testament Scriptures are explicitly clear that the the Christian life will be nothing but suffering, that suffering for the Christian is the will of God. It's part of the plan. It's part of His design in our sanctification. That's why Paul would say in the book of Acts, through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulations such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, it is true that these verses describe the intensified form of tribulation that is the history of the church from Jesus' resurrection and ascension all the way through today and all the way through until the last day. But this is the intensified form that will come. This is something different at the very end of time, just before Jesus returns. Because he says, it's such as has not been 
from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And so here's what we can know. It'll get, it'll get worse. Whatever it is today, it's going to get worse. Jesus wants you to be prepared, expectantly prepared for this. If those days were not cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, by the way, that's me and you if we know Jesus today. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. <clears throat> you say, some of you are thinking, you want to ask this question so bad you can taste it. Are you about to tell us what you believe about the great tribulation and the seven years and when Jesus is coming back and if we'll be here for the tribulation? Nope. Not today. Maybe in the next couple weeks, maybe not. You may have to come on a Wednesday night. Huh, that'll get you on it. You may have to come on a Wednesday night for us to discuss that again. Why? Because it's unimportant? No. Because that's not the main point of this passage, and I want you to hear Jesus' heart, what he's really passionate about in this, in this passage, what, is, what, is, what his goal in speaking these words is really all about. But what I will say, just in passing... But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Sounds like we're there. Luke 21, verses 12 and 13. But before all this, Jesus said, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Listen to what it says in verse 13. It's not on the screen because I just messed up and didn't put it in. Verse 13 says this, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Hello. Not only is suffering part of the deal and part of your sanctification, it is the God-ordained, Jesus-planned time for you to witness. Hello. Which is why the church is growing fastest in the world today in the nation of Iran. Or your life's on the line if you follow Jesus. And when they are persecuted, you know what they do? They witness. They tell people why they're about to die. They tell the people that are killing them the only hope that executioner has in this world. And it's the Jesus in whom they've hoped and for whom they're about to die. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear weakness. Verses 16 and 17 of Luke 21. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. Why? Why will, why will family betray family? Because some in your family can't handle the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. They can't handle the fact that Jesus calls you to follow him even if it means suffering. They don't like the Jesus of the Bible who says your life is not about living out the American dream with the blessing of God, but rather your life is about laying down all of your hopes and dreams that Christ may be known in this world. They don't like that Jesus of Scripture. And so Jesus just tells us you're going to be given up even by those people closest to you. In fact, verse 17, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And here's the deal. Jesus wants you to be expectantly prepared 
when that happens, that's why he's talking. That's why he's having this whole conversation, giving this whole discourse, so that when that stuff, that awful stuff, that hard-to-deal-with stuff happens, it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise you. That context is where Peter was coming from in 1 Peter 3 that we looked at last week. Throwing things all over the place up here. 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. I just want to read that again. Flip there if you've got your Bibles. 1 Peter 3. This is not on the screen. Verses 15 and 16. The context is suffering for righteousness' sake. By the way, the whole book of 1 Peter is basically... It's basically a treatise on suffering in the life of the Christian. In 1 Peter 3, verse 14, <clears throat> it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the, for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What's the picture there? How, do, how can we just get at the heart of what he's saying? The idea is you're suffering for righteousness. You're following Jesus, you're being obedient to him, you're walking in holiness, and you're suffering for it. You're saying Jesus, you're telling, telling the world what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. There's not multiple ways to God. There's one Savior, his name is Jesus. And because that's who, what you're saying and how you're living, you're suffering for it. Peter says in that moment, keep honoring Christ as Lord and be ready to give a defense to anybody who asks you, because they're going to, for a reason for the hope that's in you. And so the picture is that in the midst of suffering, we still have hope, right? Because remember, in the midst of suffering, Jesus still said he's coming. And you know what that means? Those kids taught you a while ago. He's coming! So we still have hope. And so in the midst of suffering, no matter how we're opposed, the world sees us at peace and full of hope, looking beyond this present temporary suffering that we may be enduring to the glory that is yet to come, the eternal weight of glory, Paul said, that makes the suffering look small, even if it's death, as a martyr for Jesus. It's happening in our, the lives of our brothers and sisters all around the world. And in the face of even that kind of suffering, we have hope. Because you see, they can kill this body. I love, one of my favorite hymns is, Mighty Fortress is Our God. <clears throat> Maybe I won't mess this up too bad. I'm not going to sing it. Um, one of the verses says, the body they may kill. The body they may kill. Help me out. God's truth abideth still. How's the rest of that verse go, David? One little word will fail him. We have hope. They can kill this body, but you know what Jesus said in Luke 21? They can kill our bodies, but not one hair of our head will be 
damaged. They said, and, and, and all the church looked at the preacher and said, clearly. <clears throat> but the deal is this. What, he say, what is he saying? He's saying they can kill your body, but you are in the hand of a, of a strong and mighty Savior. And if they kill you, you are forever, eternally protected by God himself, by Christ himself. You're in a double grip of grace. Jesus in another place said that, 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 that he holds us in his hand. And then he says the Father holds us in his hand. He says, says both have us in his hand in the same place. I, Max Licato called that years ago a double grip of grace. And I like that picture. That's beautiful. Man, can't nothing get you really. They can kill your body, but they can't get you. The real you, the everlasting you. Safe in the hands of our God. And so he wants us to be expectantly prepared for this so that we do live in hope. And the world looks at us and says, how can you be so calm? How can you be so, maybe not happy, but full of joy? How can you have the peace that you have when all these people are coming against you? And when they asked, Peter said, you be ready to tell them. Do it with gentleness. Stay humble. Know that it's only by the grace of God. But look him in the eye and say, it's because Jesus lived, died, and rose again in my place. And what that means is you can kill me. You can do whatever you want to to me. But when I die, I will be in the presence of Jesus forever. And when this world is long gone, I will still be alive with him. Jesus wants you, he wants me, to be expectantly prepared for persecution. Finally, this morning, he wants us to be expectantly prepared for global upheaval. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means something like Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be Shaken. At the end, there's going to be some big, major stuff that starts happening in the world, like in the universe, in the, in, around the globe. Planet Earth, the heavens. Luke 21, 25, and 26, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and Jesus is saying... You don't have to be surprised because I just told you it's coming. And when you see it, you know what it means? It means your redemption is drawing near. It means Jesus is coming back soon, real soon. It means it's not a time to freak out. It's a time to get ready to go home. The end is almost here. But when all that stuff starts happening, and maybe some of those things have already begun to happen, I don't know, the world freaks out. You realize we just went through the first global pandemic in 100 years, but probably the biggest one. I'm not a doomsday. I'm not, I'm, I, by the way, remember, who knows when Jesus is coming back? I'm not fixing to be a false teacher and tell you he's coming back in the next year, six months. I have no idea. It could be another 500 years. I don't know. Here's what I know. We don't have to be fearful of the things the world fears because we have hope for eternity. That's Jesus' point here. You get it? You see it? 
going to be some crazy stuff happen. And what it means for us is that our redemption is drawing near. Isn't our Lord and Savior so very gracious and good to tell us all this in advance? Jesus wants you and me to be expectantly prepared, and now you can be. You know what to expect and can, by His grace and the power of His Spirit, be prepared when all this comes. We're going to stop right there for now. Remember, Jesus' followers can be expectantly prepared. They can be assuredly confident and perseveringly faithful to our Lord in these last days until He comes. We'll talk about the rest of that next week, next week and the week after, or maybe next week's Father's Day. We'll see what happens when we, when we come back to this next. Let me just close again with this question. Why are our windows so clean? Should we not be like children? Ready, expectant, excited for our Lord's return. I wonder, will you... Stand on your tiptoes more this week than you did last week. That is Jesus' point. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for telling us what's ahead. Thank you that you did not want us to be shocked, surprised, thrown off, led astray by all that you and your sovereignty have planned for the last of the last days, as well as this week in America coming up. Thank you that we can be full of hope. That even in the middle of all this, we can be at peace. And oh, Lord, how we pray that you would help us to believe what you tell us. What you've told us in this passage, what Paul tells us in Romans when he says that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes, his people. That nothing, no circumstance, ever can separate us from the love of God. Difficulty, trials, suffering, opposition, persecution, none of this means you've quit loving us. You proved your love once and for all in giving your son who loved us by laying down his very life. May we believe you and may our hearts be freed from fear. Freed from panic. May we be those who don't freak out over the next news bite, the next happening, the next thing that rocks the rest of the world. And at the same time, may we, with peace in our hearts, be those who are most compassionate in response to those who are hurting and those involved in tragedies, those suffering during these difficult events. May we lay our lives down to serve others, even as Jesus did. Lord, thank you again. 
Make us ready. Help us to live on our tiptoes this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and, and worship. <clears throat> As we sing, this altar is open for you to come and respond any way you need to in prayer to the Lord. I'll be right here on the front row if you need to talk about coming to know Jesus personally today, then I'd love to introduce you to him. If you need to come and join our church family today, we think we had about 15, 16 uh, complete a new members class last week. And so if you want to come join our church family today, if the Lord's leading you to do that and be part of what he's doing here, we welcome you today, even as we sing. We just want to ask everybody to close their eyes and block out everything else going on around them. Be on their tiptoes in their heart. Listen to what God's about to say to you. In the quiet, in the stillness, I know that you are God. In the secret of your presence, I know there I am restored.
Amen. Thank you guys. What a perfect song to uh, finish out our service this morning. Thank you guys for leading us in that worship. So we've got a little bit to, to take care of. Y'all just be seated. Um, and man, let's see if I can handle all this at one whack today. So here we go. Uh, we have uh, several coming this morning. Um, we have Steve Thackerson and Carolyn Nungesser. They come to us by prof with a profession of faith and as candidates for baptism. Uh, been believers for a while, but not, not ha having not followed the Lord in, in believer's baptism. And so we are so excited to have them. Um, John and Martha Jennings come to us by transfer a letter from Grace Baptist Church here in town. And so, so glad to, to have them coming. Ann McClendon comes uh, by statement of faith. Uh, Ann um, was Methodist. And so she is uh, getting close, closer. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> my grandfather, I, I was, I've already told her, my grandfather was a uh, wonderful Methodist uh, believer. But she does come by profession of faith and is a candidate for b believer's baptism, having never been baptized as a believer. So we'll baptize uh, Anne along with Carolyn and Steve. Um, and so then Miss Jane Anderson comes... Are you coming from a Baptist church? Is that correct? Transfer of letter from? Highland Park, Baptist in, Panama City. Highland Park Baptist in Panama City, Florida. Along with, from the same church, Pat and Tricia Patterson coming by transfer of letter from Highland Park Baptist in Panama City, Florida. I got everybody. Is everything correct so far? Three, six, eight. Okay. We would entertain a motion. What's the pleasure of the church regarding receiving these on the basis I've described? Is there a second? All right. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. amen. And praise the Lord. And one more thing, we love you. And we do. We've already come to love some of you guys, all of you guys already. What a good time we've had. Uh, just in our in our membership class in the last few weeks, and um, and these folks have come in and plugged in. We've got some of these folks that are already uh, serving and, and eager to serve, and so we just praise God for bringing you to our church family. And what we firmly believe about the body of Christ is this: God brings you here because you have gifts. God, by His Spirit, works in you. We talked about last Sunday night. You remember in a certain way that we need. The Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, says, manifest itself in you and in me, all of us, but for the good of the church. And so we believe that's why God's brought you here, in part to serve and minister among us. We need you. But we also believe that God's brought you here because he's equipped this body to serve and love you in a way, and that's our commitment. Amen, church? Whoa, that was, that was bad. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I snuck up on you. Amen, church? Amen, and we're committed to do that. So welcome. We will schedule baptism for the uh, three of you, and uh, look forward to that. All right. Wow. Pretty awesome way to end the service. Amen. A few quick questions.
quick announcements. I'm going to ask you guys, if you'll just go ahead and, and go back to the back out there. Y'all, y'all, y'all hear these announcements. You've already seen them probably. Um, go ahead and make your way out so folks can greet you. Today, right after this, as, after we dismiss, in the conference room that is also a Sunday school room, next to the staff offices, uh, we will have an ILC interest meeting, International Learning Center interest meeting. If you have said, hey, I'd like to serve in that, or if you've been thinking about it but hadn't come to me yet, this is the time. We, we need to get down to the brass tacks, make some decisions. Is this something we're going to do in the fall or not? And so I think we're going to be able to pull this off. I think we've got enough... Uh, existing staff and new volunteers, but meet me there and we'll talk more about that then. Tonight at 6 o'clock is our weekly Crowd to Jesus prayer service. Uh, join us as we do just that. Uh, Vacation Bible School is coming up two Saturdays from now. Uh, we're excited to host Vacation Bible School. It's a one-day Bible school this year on Saturday, June the 25th from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We're going to be focusing on how all are a part of God's wonderful masterpiece. Uh, enrollment begins at age four. It goes through students having completed the fifth grade. And even if you and your family attend our church regularly, uh, our awesome VBS director, Miss Julie Green, has asked that you use the church app or the website and go ahead and pre-register. You can find that link on the poster in the lobby or on our Facebook page. And then finally... Uh, as the church is working to update its membership role and directory information, please complete your profile update either using the sheets that you see in the pews that look like this, so a paper copy, or you can also go online. Um, there's, a, there's a code, should be a QR code laying on a piece of paper around here somewhere, um, and you can, you can use that to, to update uh, an online form. Uh, with all your information, um, and, and, and submit that through your phone or, or tablet or computer. Um, also, if, if you're already in our communication system, then you would have received an email, and in that email is a link. It takes only maybe three or four minutes for you to complete this. What this will ultimately allow us to do is, is keep you in, informed about what's going on, announcements, prayer requests, all those kinds of things. But it'll also allow uh, us to to slowly begin to form an, an online directory so you can have in your phone basically a directory of, of all the folks at church. Hopefully pictures included, information, contact information, that kind of thing. You will be asked a question on that form, either online or in paper, as to whether or not it's okay to put your information in that open directory. So that is your choice. We, we, you know, if you don't do that, we'll respect that. But if, if you will give us that permission, then we'll, we'll include it there. Are there any other announcements that need to be made at this time? If not, Pastor Trey, will you dismiss us in prayer? Kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the outpouring of your spirit today. God, we pray that we'll take the message that we've heard and the inspiration of your power today. We'll walk forth from this church into where we're going to go next, and we'll take that with us. Minister to other people, God, and give us opportunities this week to share your word with somebody. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.